got your Bibles, I hope you do, either, either in paper or digitally. Turn with me to John 12. If you're with us and hadn't been with us for a while, let me welcome you. If you're watching online, welcome. Let me explain to you what we do here. I don't get up on Monday mornings and throw a dart at the dartboard on what to preach for the next Sunday. We, we pick a book of the Bible and we preach it all the way, every verse we seek to want to understand what does the bible say what does it say what does it mean and how do i go about living it out that's what we do week in week out as pastor mike and i sit and begin to talk about the sermons coming up we we think about the music beginning to preach the message before the the message is even proclaimed here on paper uh, I think you'll see that that has been done, it will be done, and as we get to the end, we respond. And how we respond here is by doing what the Lord told us to do as we gather. We go to the tables, and we remember, and we give, and then we go. Stand with me. We're going to read God's Word today, as our brothers and sisters have done for some 2,000 years. Let us read the words of truth. John 12, we're going to be looking at verses 37 to 50. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me himself gives me a commandment what to say, and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the words, God, Lord. Every single one of us is blowing through a season and some of those things are wonderful and some of them we wish we could change. We wish we could sometimes turn the channel in our own life. We wish we could reach into the heart of those that we love and change it. We wish we could heal those that are sick. We wish we could remove COVID. And so, Lord, we 
come to you as the only one who could do any of those things and ask you through the power of your spirit you would transform us that you would use us as your humble instruments in your sovereign hands Lord even as we pray would you use our prayers to accomplish your will and your purposes for the glory of your great name in our Savior's name we all pray. Amen. You be seated. Interesting how different things you study all come together, and they always do from week to week, because I, I study different things, including the message. And much of what we hear, much of what we say is not really our own words. It's things we have learned and and really use of other people. And so this morning I just some of these things are things that I've studied and read and just impacted me. One, I heard a guy say this week, all people have a relationship with God. Now, before you get mad, just think about that. All people have a relationship with God. This is, as I thought about it, John's point, you see. It is not if somebody has a relationship, but what type of relationship they have. John simply says it is either unbelief or belief. It is either following or rebellion, then there's no middle ground with Jesus. Nobody in the middle will see that even today. And if you walk this walk and talk to people long enough, somebody's going to ask you this question. What, what happens to those innocent people? And they always pick Africa. I don't know why. There's an awful lot of countries that are lost and without the gospel. But they always ask this question, what happens to the innocent native in Africa who never hears the gospel? Notice the way that question is asked. And, I, you know, many people have answered that question over the years. And here's what most will say. Don't worry about that innocent guy. He don't need a Savior. If he's innocent, he'll just die and go to heaven. But is that the right question? It's not the right question. The right question. What puts people on canoes to go down the river to people who have not heard the gospel carrying their coffins with them is not that question. What is the question? Is what happens to the guilty native in Africa who never hears the gospel? That's the right question. You see, asking the right question gives us as believers an urgency. There are no innocent people. There are people who walk in darkness who have not heard the light. This is the urgency of our soul. The reason you are in Kings Mountain or Cherubal or Gastonia is because of that God-given urgency to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is... Jesus' passion, and there is a soberness to John 12. This passage today is Jesus' last appeal to the people, Israel, who have for hundreds of years rejected Yahweh. They rejected Him. Prophet after prophet after prophet said, repent, repent, repent. Quit following after them. Repent. And they would not repent. And then the King of glory steps into time and space. And He healed the sick and raised the dead. And they said, we don't believe. This is His last appeal to them. 
for the cross. He will not speak directly to them now. He will now turn after this and lean into his disciples, these that he will pass on his mission. So, when we go out with this urgency, and I pray you do, I pray you go to work with that on your mind. Is it up to you? Like, most of the time you ever share the gospel, what happens? People, especially in, in around here, everybody's Christian anyway, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me and Jesus, we got a deal. Right? How many times you heard that? We, we got a thing, man. We got it worked out. I talked to Jesus, you know. You back off of my private life and I'll send some money to that. Yeah, right? Can we convince them on our own? That's the question. If, and and if, he, if he don't believe, is it my fault? Should I have learned better? Can we keep rolling around in this? I'm just too scared to share the gospel because maybe if I do it wrong, Jesus wants to help us today. Jesus explains the problem of blind unbelief and his very purpose for coming. The problem of unbelief. The problem. Look at verse 37. You see it. Though he has done so many signs before them, listen, they still not, not, did not believe in him. Belief in Jesus is equal to embracing God. To not believe in Jesus is to reject God. This is why Hebrews would say, if you reject God, what else can be done for you? To choose to believe Christ is to believe God. Look at verse 44. It's just understand this issue of believe and not believe. What does it mean in this pluralistic culture that says any way is okay as long as you're sincere? Look at verse 44. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. Verse 45. To see Jesus is to see God. Look at verse 49. To listen to Jesus is to listen to God. This is what Paul says in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? The Word of Christ. That's important. We'll come back to that a little bit later. The Word of Christ. Here's the truth. They had the Word of Christ <laughs> into flesh, right? The great majority of Jews despite what they saw, shut themselves out of God because they rejected Christ. So what did they saw? Right? Think about the three years. We said this last week. Let's say it again. Everywhere Jesus went, people were healed. Everywhere He went, the, the lepers, the scales fell off. Everywhere they went, you remember them demons and that guy? Oh no, right? Here He comes comes God the Son. What, what you coming at me for? And then there was Lazarus. You see, they were there when he died. They watched him be bound up. They watched Lazarus die, put in the grave, roll the tomb. They were there when Jesus said, roll it away. And they smelt the decay of his flesh. They said, what in the world is God doing? And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And this, and this guy waddled out of there. They were there. They did not believe. Why not? 
question. Why not? You see, the unbelief is a heart problem. Unbelief in your friends and in your family, in your co-workers. Those we lay on our face and pray for night after night. The unbelief is a heart problem. It's not an intelligence problem. It's not an intellect problem. It's not a knowledge problem. They were there. They saw Him. They didn't have an information issue. They had a heart issue. If you're taking notes, write this down. Unbelief is the response of a heart in rebellion against His God. Unbelief is the response of a heart in rebellion against His God. In other words, unbelief is the spiritual state of every human heart. You see, you've got to get the question right. A person who's never heard the gospel doesn't have an innocent heart. According to the Bible, he has a hard one. And yet, the response, and hear me clearly, the responsibility of rejecting Jesus as Savior falls squarely on the shoulders of unbelievers. They consciously, willfully reject the salvation found only in Christ. So hear me today, and maybe you don't ask these questions, but if you do, hear me. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man are ten, twin truths that must never be pitted against each other for they both are the words of Christ and they both must be embraced as true. Amen. And so the unbelief, responsibility sets on the unbeliever, but why don't they believe? After all they have saw, after all they have heard, they don't believe because they're unable to believe. Not my words. Look at verse 38 and 39. Why don't they believe? So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39. Therefore they what? They could not believe. They would not believe. They could not believe. In verse 37, they would not believe. You see that? In verse 39, they could not believe. In verse 42, they would not confess their faith. Even though they knew what they saw is true, they knew who He was, they would not confess. They would not. They could not. He's quoting here in verse 38, Isaiah 53. We know Isaiah 53. We looked at that last week. This is quoting verse 1. It says this, Isaiah 53 verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Second question there. The Jewish people. The Lord had revealed himself to them. Yahweh. His provision. His power. His deliverance. He revealed it to them. And they would not heed the word of the prophets. Israel and her leaders thought they could see. Yet they were blind. 
stuck in this spiritual state. The word could not means ability. They had no ability. They were not capable. Again, it's not just John's words. He's quoting the Old Testament. Isaiah 6, if you want to turn there. You need to see that the, great, the greatest quoter of the Old Testament is the writers of the New Testament. Quoted the Bible, the Old Testament all the time. He's trying to explain why these people who saw what they saw still do not believe. And he said, it's just like in the days of Isaiah. You remember what Isaiah said. You remember what God said to Isaiah. Isaiah 6 and verse 9. God talking to Isaiah. He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. <laughs> Understandably, in verse 11, Isaiah says, How long? Right? You ever ask that question? How long am I I'm supposed to keep doing this when... They're not believing God. They're not repenting day in and day out. They're killing my friends, God, when my friends go out and they're killing them, throwing them in pits. What am I, how long am I supposed to do this? It's a sobering word from God today. I know where good news is coming. You see, comes a time when God will turn you over if you don't believe it, read Romans 1. He turns them over. You see, the human heart is like concrete. And I'm sorry, every analogy breaks down. Best I can do, you know, try to use analogies. The human heart is like concrete. Can I ask you something? What do you have to do to make concrete hard? Nothing. Just leave it alone. What happens for the human heart to grow hard as a rock? Absolutely nothing. This is the point. You see, every single person has a heart problem. It's not just that their actions are sinful. It is their very nature that governs every decision they make. Stuck in unbelief. Hard. This is this heart of stone that the prophet said the Holy Spirit was coming. This is not a new theme for, for John. In John 6, 44, remember what he said? No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. Jesus is teaching us something here about unbelief and belief. He's teaching us something here about save, salvation, that no one has the ability to believe in Christ unless the Father acts upon His heart. Do you remember the conversation? Matter of fact, I want you to turn there, John 3. It's a conversation with Nicodemus. He's in this group there. We'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. He's in this group. 
You remember the conversation? John 3 and verse 3, Jesus said to the, to the most knowledgeable religious leader, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see. He has no ability to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time in his mother's womb? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and you don't know where it comes from. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The best way I can understand it in my human comprehension is when, when we go out, when you go to work, when you engage somebody, you take somebody to coffee, and, and you begin to engage the word of truth. You might do it a dozen times to the same person. And when you're talking, you can even be crying. and You can put all the passion you want to in it. Nothing. And then all of a sudden, you, you speak this same word of truth. And there is in the heart of that person a divine collision. And with that comes life. That, brothers and sisters, is salvation. When the word of truth and the spirit of truth collide into a human heart, that and that alone brings salvation. Not how good I do it. Not how good you do it. The spirit of God must save. What does it look like? You've got to see this. I'm going to try to get through it. Isaiah 6. You've got to see what it looks like when you run into the king. And so let us pray, even as we turn to Isaiah 6, that even right now, as we read the word of truth, that the spirit of truth will collide in the hearts of people and bring salvation. Because, you see, if you've got Isaiah 6, just stay there. Here's what verse 41 says in John 12. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. He saw who? Isaiah saw who? Saw the king of glory. And here's what's happening here as I'm about to read. He either sees the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ or he saw what theologians would call the Shekinah glory of the Lord. So let us listen. Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple, and above Him stood the seraphim. Each with six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said to him, Woe is me. I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hands a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. And your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Verse 8, he said, I heard a loud voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 
Then Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. Does this look like something that can happen to you? And you wouldn't know it. Does this look like something that would happen to you? And you can remain unchanged. Isaiah saw the weightiness of Christ. He saw the awesomeness of Christ, the holiness of Christ. He responded in repentance and the Lord atoned for him. And then he gets up and gets about the mission of God. This is the message of the gospel. Listen, this is my story and this is your story. True faith, you see, is not ashamed. True faith is not ashamed. Look at back now. Turn back to John 12. Look back to verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Here's just the truth this morning that everybody in the Bible Belt need to heed. Jesus doesn't have any undercover followers. You know what an undercover agent is. It's a person who's really a policeman, but maybe she wants to have a sting, and so she pretends to be a prostitute. She's undercover. Who is she really? Policeman. We tend to think that we're some undercover, that down inside, we're really a Christian, but in our daily lives, when we go to work and about our business, then we're just what we want to be. There's no undercover agents. If you aren't publicly Christian, you're not a Christian. The issue here, I love what John does. He, he tells us that they would not confess. They didn't want to be cast out of the temple. You didn't have a church on every corner by, in that day, by the way. You know, you got kicked out. You, you kicked out. Nobody received your sacrifices. They weren't going to have that. But John drills into the heart. You see, the issue is the heart. It said the real reason was they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. You see, these secret fathers, these closet Christians, these undercover Christians are really lost. Not saved. Their heart is still stuck in the concrete of unbelief. Is there any hope for these people? It's good news today. Guess who's in that group? As far as we can tell. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who in only a few days would step out of the darkness into the light and count the cost, whatever it cost them. What is unbelief? Unbelief is a, the response of the heart in rebellion against this God. What was the purpose of Christ's coming? I want you to see. It was to accomplish His Father's mission by issuing a warning and offering life. Let's look at it. Verse 44, Jesus cries out, so he's not talking in a calm voice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry sometimes, by the way. I'm not really sorry. I didn't mean that. It, if you want to like a calm preacher, just, I'm just not your guy, right? Come outside of this and I'll be calm. I promise, won't I? I'm a calm guy. I don't know you talk that much. 
but don't expect them to be calm about the gospel. Jesus here is pleading for the last time, as it will, in person to an unbelieving group of people. He cries out, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. The word I want you to grab a hold of is sent. You see that word sent? It means to send for a purpose. I got the, in my mind the, the Pony Express. You remember I used to watch a program, you know, and the Pony Express didn't actually run very long in history. Um, but they built TV programs and stuff out of it, and it was fun for little boys to watch them. These, these young guys get on a, get on a, a horse, and they give, them, they give them the mail, right? It's important. It could be something really critical in there. He puts it in his bag, and he, he takes off across. The enemies are chasing him, and he is dispatched for a purpose, you see. It's not going to stop till he gets to his destination. This is why the Father sent the Son to accomplish a mission. And he wasn't going to be deterred. Everything he did was about accomplishing his mission. You see, it was not Paul who was the first missionary. It was Jesus. He was the one who came. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a reaction. It wasn't like, oops, Adam messed up. So we got, you know, the triune God had to say, we need to call a meeting. We got a problem. <laughs> you know, I created that dude and they both have messed up. What do we need to do? Just, well, looks like I'm the only one who can fix this mess. No. This is what we call the covenant of redemption. That before the foundation of the world, this was the plan. So his son steps into time and space to accomplish it. And he does two things. First, he warns. Look at verse 47 and 48. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You remember that word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Right now, brothers and sisters, that word of Christ is given to you so that you might be saved. Do you see that? Verse 47. It's given to us, His missionaries, His messengers, so that we might take this message, so that they might be saved. But one day, what He calls, you see at the end of verse 38, the last day, that very word that he has given to save will rise up to judge. Listen to what Jesus said about that day. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There's a warning. There's a last day. There is. It is coming. But today is the day of salvation. The purpose of His coming was not to bring condemnation, but transformation. He did not come the first time to bring condemnation. He came to bring transformation. How did He do that? By offering eternal life. Verse 46. I have come into the world as light. Why? So that 
whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You see, we all have a relationship with God. The problem is because of the hardness of our own heart, we are estranged from the God that we should serve. We hate the God we love. We rebel against the God we should follow. Christ came to transform our relationship from unbelief to belief, from darkness to light, from slaves to children. Look at verse 49 and 50. For I have not spoken of, on my own authority, this is Jesus speaking, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say, and what to speak. And I know this commandment is eternal life. What I shall say, therefore, I say, as the Father told me. <laughs> what commandment especially determines eternal life? Do you see it? I, he's given me a commandment. He's given me what to say. He's given me what to speak. And in these words is eternal life. What are those words? What commandment? Dare I get up here and start saying, well, you have to keep the Ten Commandments. Is the Ten Commandments the word of eternal life? No. They are those things that condemn you, that show you you must need eternal life. Because there's not a one of us that has not broken them with our hands or with our hearts. Amen. So what is that message? I think Acts summarizes it best. Acts 16.31 This is the commandment. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the commandment. That's Jesus' life and words. That which He has received in the Father. I have come to you as the Logos. As the Word. And in me there is life. The Lord sent His Son to seek and to save the lost. And now what Jesus is doing in this gospel is He is turning to His disciples and He is passing on the baton to them. He will say in John 20 to these disciples, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. It is our goal to please Him just as Jesus pleased Him. To fulfill His mission just as Jesus fulfilled His. To walk in the very footsteps of Christ the missionary. So what? A couple of questions. Will we stand unashamed with the Lord until He comes? The Bible has much to say about perseverance. Romans 1.16, we know this word well. But it is always a good reminder to reread the truths you think you know. <laughs> For we oftentimes grab the power up in our own hands. So let us be reminded. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, the message, the commandment to repent and believe. 
It's where the divine collision happens. That message goes forth in the Spirit of God. What do I have to be ashamed of about that? It is the only message that brings salvation. But what does an unashamed life look like? We're going to talk about this. This is going to bleed over in the next week. Two components to an unashamed life. The message, the unchanging message, and essential ministry. An unchanging message and an essential ministry. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah. And this is just a passage that has ministered to me this week. Just my prayer for myself. This is the way we can learn from looking at Israel. I want you to look at Isaiah 1. Look at verse 2 and 3. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Here's what the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. I don't know whether you're watching online or maybe you're here. Can I release you from something this morning by the authority of God's Word? God fathered perfectly, but Israel rebelled. You need to think about that as a parent. There's not a one of us that has ever parented perfectly. And if you're not a parent yet, when you become one, you won't either. (laughs) But God did. And Israel rebelled. Can I ask you a question? Was it God's fault that Israel rebelled? Not on your life, it wasn't. It was their fault. That's the point of the passage, by the way. So please, brothers and sisters, release yourself from the guilt of rebellious children. Their rebellion sits on their own shoulders. And unless they repent, they will perish. And God uses your prayers and your message Bring them to faith. Do what God has called you to do, but do not for one second bear the guilt of something that God didn't bear. God didn't bear it. God fathered Israel perfectly. And they rebelled. And God disciplined them. But they would not repent. Verse 5. Listen to God's heart. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Your whole head is sick. Your whole heart is faint. Sin and rebellion affects all of you, not just part of you. God disciplined them. They would not repent. Verse 7, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. You have been overthrown. God's judgment came. And instead of repenting, they just said, well, God, how about religion? How about religion? How about if I keep on running people over in my daily life, chasing the American dream, but, but praise the Lord, as long as I go to church on Sunday and drag my families with me, we're okay. We better hear the Word of God today. Because in verse 11, God says, what? 
To me is your multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of your burnt offerings and rams, of fat, well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense and abominations to me, new moons and Sabbath and callings for convocations. I cannot endure wickedness with your worship. question today. How do we live an unashamed life? Well, are we walking in the joy of repentance or the snare of dead religion? Look at verse 16. Here's the issue. Here's how the unashamed life, listen, this is where it begins. Wash yourselves, verse 16. Wash yourselves and make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Praise God for the gospel. Praise God that no longer you just have to try harder and wash yourself. Jesus Christ came to earth and He lived a perfect life and He died on the cross in your place precisely because you could not. And if we repent and turn from our evil, who we turn to, is Jesus. This is when the unashamed life begins. And listen, it has not begun until that repentance happens. So then, so it just turned from evil then, right? No. The unashamed life has a pattern of it. Look at verse 17. It says, learn to do good. <laughs> not enough to stop doing evil, right? Not enough to quit lying. You've got to speak the truth, right? Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. This is what the unashamed look like, looks like, you see. We not only have a message, we have a ministry. We have an unchanging message, we have an essential ministry. How do you live the unashamed life this week? Find somebody to show Christ to who cannot pay you back. Seek justice. By the way, we don't define justice, but by the way, America defines justice or any politician defines it. This word means the quality of being free from favoritism, self-interest, bias, or deception, especially in standards and rules. And brothers and sisters, some of you have a positions of authority. And you can live an unashamed life by making sure the place that you are at, be it your family or be it your business, is just. That's the essential ministry that sets the foundation for the unchanging message. We should correct oppression. Oppression means to straighten out the ruthless. <laughs> mm. We bring justice to the fatherless, to the widows. Those are people who don't have the ability to have a voice. We give them a voice. This is the essential ministry. Listen, that's not salvation. You can, you can take a prostitute and move her in your home and lead her to have a six-figure salary and she die and go straight to hell. There is a message, and it is unchanging. Both are essential. So it happened again. As you get older, notice i got some white here. As you get older, 
There'll be times in your life when somebody will call, the news will come on, you'll get a text, and somebody from your yesterday is dead. Happened again this week, not the first time it's happened. There's somebody in this group of people that I used to follow and walk around with is killed. Same age as me. What do you do when that happens? I can tell you what I do. I'm somewhere alone and I say, Lord, that should have been me. Every single one of you are one to two choices away from that. Why did God save me? Why did He pursue me? Why did He rescue me? I don't know. Only that the Bible says it was to the praise of His glory. Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses again, God made us alive together with Christ. That's why we are saved. When I have those moments, do I feel shame about my yesterday? No. Why not? All kind of terrible things, didn't you? Yep. Let me explain. Get your Bibles if you still got Isaiah. This is what Christ offers to you. What He offers to me. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet... They shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Amen. So you see, I have not forgotten my yesterday because my yesterday reminds me of, my, of the sovereign grace of the God I serve. But I do not for one second bear the shame and guilt of my yesterday for it is God in Christ paid my sin on the cross and they're gone they're white, and all is left is grace. This is the message, you see. And so next week, we will ask the question, what is the nature of this ministry? And we will learn from that from our Lord. So next week, maybe we should all bring our aprons, right? Bring our aprons, come to church with your apron on next week as we learn about the nature of this ministry that Jesus will give to his followers. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, your words have been spoken. And Lord, I have tried within myself with the weakness of of who I am to rightly divide your word this morning. And so God, would your spirit create these divine collisions, not only now, but tomorrow. Not only tomorrow, but a year from now, Lord. But would you cause them? Because we can't, God. I can't save anyone. But we have the message. And we have been given a ministry. 
Oh God, make us faithful to the end. There are some that are sitting here and that are listening that are ashamed. Oh God, wake them to life. Let them smell their sinfulness and see it in light of your glory that they may step into the light of the unashamed. And Lord, now, we open our tables, your table up to all who have believed. Because, Lord, this is what you have told us to do. Every time we worship, we need to remember. And so, God, now we come to remember the person and the work of the one who has set us free. And I pray today for those people living in that motel that we went to this week. For that, for that dealer. For those prostitutes. For that family who lost everything. They're all there, God the owner of that place oh God would you bring the word of Christ and the spirit of truth to bear that that place that is a haven for wickedness might become a place of rescue oh God Use us in the way you see fit, for we are yours. Receive our worship now, we pray. May we go as your missionaries. In Jesus' name.